I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> what an amazing, amazing worship service. Let's give it up for our worship team. Wow. What an amazing time. I want to thank uh, the pools for welcoming us this morning. That was very warm and engaging, reminding us who we, of who we are. And, uh, and Keith, thank you so much, brother, for reminding us of how powerful not only Jesus is, but to restrain himself. That he could have took the easy way, but he didn't. And because of that, we are here. Uh, again, if you're visiting, thank you for coming. My name is Russ Murdoch, Jr. I get to serve as one of the uh, ministers here in the Garden State Church. And I appreciate Matt's uh, announcements. And, you know, if you have children uh, that you'd like to um, put into the, the children's ministry, that, that opportunity is, is always there. It's, it's so great. You know, I go in earlier and do a little communion message with them. And just to see the hearts of the uh, teachers is, is super encouraging. You know, I also want to give a shout out to our teens. You know, you see some of the teens coming and helping do the count, right? Let's give a little shout out to them as they help with our service. And it's just so great when everybody's doing their part, right? Everybody's doing their part. And someone's like, uh-oh, you setting us up, Russ. No, I'm not setting you up. But I do want to say, over the last kind of month and a half, last in September, we talked about, uh, or actually August, the core group here in the Northeast talked about what, does the church need? And out of that conversation, there was a lot of things. There were a lot of needs. There were a lot of, well, we need to do this. We need to focus more on this. One of the things that came out was heart. Where is the heart at? And we talked about, you know, if you don't have your heart in it, then you can just be coming, going through the motions. But when you got your heart in it, and you're alive, it's exciting. It's so different. And so Chuck Royal, one of our elders, started off talking about a heart for God at our midweek service. And then that Sunday, we talked about how to develop a heart for God. And we began to Focus on the character of David. And then the next week, we talked about wholehearted and what that meant and how we looked at the sinful woman who came to Jesus' feet and how she was just pouring herself out. She didn't care how she looked. She didn't care what people thought. She was just focused on Jesus, and he had her complete attention and her whole focus was on serving Jesus. And then we had our anniversary service, Generations, amen? I mean, was that not epic? I don't use that word. Was it not? And I'm going to tell you, 
when Stephen pulled out that sermon and I heard Nietzsche's voice. Done. Couldn't stop crying. And he said, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And he's not here anymore, but man, he was watching. And he's seen his boy and his grandson following in his footsteps. That was super inspiring. So we then came back last week, and we started talking about David, and we looked at his life in this one example. Because, you know, sometimes you think about David, and you think about his good and his bad, you know, He's not, he killed Goliath, but then he, you know, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then, and then that little story there shows you something else. Like, oh, wow, David, David had some issues. Well, today we're going to take a step further. Because there's nothing like learning. When you learn a lesson... And then you're able to be in that situation again. And then you overcome and you go in a different direction. Wow. That is what life is all about. I learn. And now I do something different. Because I don't want to keep hitting my head on the same door or whatever you hit your head on. So today we're going to talk about, this is part three, a heart for God, strength under control, all right, strength under control. You know, as a minister, sometimes people come to me and they say, Russ, I want to tell you the situation and I want to know, is this from God? And it's like, I'm not God, first off. <laughs> I appreciate you asking or wanting to know. And so most of the time, if people just read their Bible, they know exactly what to do. God's will is simple. But then there are situations that aren't as simple. Should I move? Should I stay? Should I date her or him? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? And there are things that aren't just straightforward and, and black and white. And, uh, and so when you are facing those situations, it is very difficult to navigate, to see well, what is God's will here? Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever wondered, is this the will of God? Let me tell you a quick personal story. So I'm working in the secular world, minding my own business. I'm driving to work 26 miles one way. You know, I'm putting 52 miles on the, uh, on the vehicle a day. Uh, I'm enjoying life. We just, you know, had, had our first child. Uh, things are going great. I get this email out of nowhere. Hey, we've got your resume, 
and we'd like to have you come in for an interview. And it's five miles away from your house. We're going to pay you more money. And the best part, you can wear jeans and a t-shirt to work. I'm interested. So, is this from God? Well, I decide I take the job. And it's fun, but it's a little weird, to be honest. Because I'm really not working. <laughs> They're like, well, just read this manual, because what you're going to be doing is working with this system. So you need to know this system. And it's like, okay, I can do that. But each day in work, they're having ping pong tournaments. <laughs> they're riding scooters. And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> you know, this goes on for seven weeks, eight weeks. I come in, and there are boxes in the office. My naive self says, wow, somebody's moving. <laughs> I didn't even get it. So two minutes later, Russ, can you come into my office? Walk in. Hey, you're a nice guy. I love your energy. People say, I love your energy. But we got to let you go. Let me go where? Am I being transferred? <laughs> no. And so that day, I lost my job. I'm driving home, and the car starts smoking. I literally get, and at that time, we lived in Montclair. I go, I go home. Sari, man, I just lost my job, but the car's smoking. I'm going to take it to the mechanic. I go around the corner, take the car to the mechanic, Literally, I, I parked there. He comes out. He checks it. He says, your engine's dead. And I remember that feeling of what in the world is going on. I was surrendered. And I was like, amen, Lord, you're doing something. After one week, two weeks, Father, come on, you're going to give me something. Three weeks. Four weeks, and I'm a little side-eyed, and I'm not praying like I used to. It was about five weeks in, and Will Mason comes over to my house and sits with me because I am mad, and I'm crying. I don't deserve this, Lord. What in the world is going on? And I remember thinking... I made a decision. I thought it was the will of God. And it fell apart in my mind. Today we're going to learn from David, the man after God's own heart, and see how he dealt with the similar type situation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your love, for your faithfulness. I pray as we read your word that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray it would inspire us to read our Bibles. It would inspire us to want to know people that walk with you because they're nothing, they're, they're no different than us. And that you can work in our lives in a similar way. 
But God, I pray that you help us realize we can't do that without your help. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 24 is where we're going. 1 Samuel 24. Let's read this together. And before I do that, I want to give us a little, little background here, okay? Because last time we talked, you know, Saul was chasing after David, you know. And so <laughs> there's one throne, there's two kings, okay? David had been anointed king as a teenager. Think about that. Teenager. Well, there's a problem. They already had what? They already had a king. And what was that king's name? Saul. And you know what? Saul didn't feel like handing the throne over to a teenager. And so God positions David in Saul's household and in his family. And basically over time, David became a famous warrior and hero that led the Israelite armies into many, many victories. But over time, Saul knew that David was going to be king. And because he was human, like you and I, he became jealous. And as time marched forward, he became less and less tolerant of David. And eventually, everything fell apart. David fled from Saul. So Saul decided that David must be killed. Now, why was Saul so determined about that? Well, if David's killed, then he doesn't have to worry about his legacy because he can then give the kingdom to his son, Jonathan. And so Saul's legacy will be intact. See, David was a threat to Saul personally and to Saul's legacy. And yet Saul knew that God had chosen David to be king. So Saul, he loses all perspective. And he decides David must be destroyed. And if you were here last week, like I said, you learned and you heard how David learned some tough lessons and he matured through those experiences. And now we're going to look at him and see how he dealt with the situation. So here's the situation. Saul, Saul gets 3,000 men and he decides he's going to pursue David. And we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing David, I'm sorry, from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for Saul, uh, to look for David and his men near the crags of wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in that very cave. The men said, this is the day of the Lord that he spoke about when he said to you, I have given your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. 
one fucking long. <laughs> Just felt like the right thing there. <laughs> then David crept up. Maybe it was because we're in the dark. <laughs> then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Now, later on, you can read the rest of the story, but I, I'm going to kind of stop there for a minute. Let's go back here for a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, again, get this picture. There's an area in, near Philistine where it's, it's mountainous. And so it was on the border of Israel. And Saul hears that this is where David is. And it's a lot of caves in that area. And so you got to get this picture. There's Saul coming to go find David. And David thinks, well, okay, what, what am I going to do here? He's coming to get me. Hey, we could just stand up and, and, and fight. Well, that might not be a good idea because he's got 3,000 guys. Man, we might suffer loss. So David says, all right, guys, split up and hide. And what we'll do is when they come through, we'll just let them pass through. And then we'll go in the opposite direction. Just what I think may have happened. So that happens. Saul comes, and then something happens. He's got to use the bathroom. And yes, that's from the Lord. He happens to go into the same cave that David was in. And so now his guys are like, layup. Layup is an easy shot, right? David, the Lord has done it. The Lord has brought your enemies into your hand. You know what's so funny about that? There's a Psalm. 132, I believe. Yeah, verse 11. David wrote this. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath. He will not revoke one of your own descendants. I will place on your throne. David had been telling them all the time, I'm going to be king. And here comes Saul, relieving himself, using the bathroom. And his guys are like, wow, this is beautiful, David. All right, just go whack him, cut his head off, pull it out, go to the edge of the camp, 
You see this? It's over. I'm king. And you have got to think, wow, if that isn't a God thing right there, that those circumstances all came together at that time, that that isn't a God thing. David, you won't have to have any bloodshed. No need for war. Just go get him. Claim your rightful place as king. And let's move on with life. You know, God has not left decision-making up to circumstances. Are you with me, church? See, when the circumstances about maybe what you're praying or something that you're wanting and something that you're thinking, when they line up with what you're praying, oh my gosh, it is very hard to say, oh, that's, that's, that's not the will of God. That's God it's got to be. She, she's got to be the one. He's got to be the one. I mean, we're so compatible. We're so perfect together. How could God not have arranged this? So when the circumstances that we're praying, they line up with the will of God, how could this not be the will of God? And as I said, God hasn't left decision-making up to circumstances. God is the ultimate communicator. He's the ultimate communicator. You know why? Because he cares about us. He doesn't want to put us in a situation where now we got to interpret this and what does that mean and then try to figure this out. He communicates clearly. And he hasn't left that up to us to sort through that. And so here's why. Because circumstances is loaded with emotion. It's loaded with emotion. So I put this little formula. Emotion plus circumstance leads to you fill in the blank. You saw it. You felt something. You bought it. You heard it. You felt something. You bought it. You smelled it. You felt something. You bought it. You tasted it, and you said, give me some more. How many times have we succumbed to some of that thinking? You, you get emotional, the circumstances are right, and then you buy something. Right? You know, last year, man, I was desperate to lose some weight. I was not fired up. I mean, to be honest, I was thinking about liposuction. I was like, I wonder how much that is. And then I found out, I was like, nope. But I remember feeling desperate. And so I'm watching TV, and there's this commercial. 
And so they say, oh, yeah, you drink this, you do that. And then so I saw it. I felt it. And I have not used it. (laughs) Can you relate? The reality is this. We can relate. There are things that are at our house that have become clothes racks. Hangers. You hang stuff on it. It's like, what is that? Well, it was a treadmill. But I found other uses for it. Why? Why is that? Because of our emotions. Some of us are in consumer debt because of this. Right? We're in consumer debt. Or maybe we've had one night stands with somebody that we just met. And we're regretting it. Or maybe we are, are, are doing a quick fix thing, you know? We're like, okay, if I do this and do that, and then I can make this money, and then boom, and then before we know it, man, we developed an addiction. Because we're not dealing with the, the heart of the issue. But see, you got to look at your life. You got to examine. And you can see emotions attached to things that you've done or maybe that you've said that you really, really wish you could do that over. Can I get a mulligan for that? Can I, a mulligan is a golf term. When you hit a terrible shot, they say you could do it over. Didn't count. Those are for my unathletic people or ungolfers. Un, un I'm sorry. I'm working on being like clear. All right. But that's, that's the nature. That's the nature of emotions. That's the nature of circumstances. And that day in the cave, there were heavy duty emotions going on. There was hate. There was jealousy. There was love. There was fear. There was anger. David, here is the man who ran you out of your home. He ruined your reputation. Here's the man that you worked for. You served and risked your life to defend. And now he's turned on you and run you out of the kingdom. He's a man that caused you to have to separate from Jonathan. And you know what those emotions were saying? Kill him. Take your rightful place in Israel. Kill him. God promised you, David. Kill him. There's no way this is not a God thing. Because only God could arrange these circumstances. But fortunately, David learned, learned his lesson. Again, if you didn't hear it last week, it's online. Hopefully it's online, right, Dad? (laughs) It'll be online. (laughs) David learned his lesson. 
about taking matters into his own hands, and he responded the way that you and I must learn to respond when we are confronted with that question. Is this the will of God? Look at verse 4. It says, David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, he was conscious stricken for having cut off his robe, off the corner of his robe. Here's a question. What was it that David knew that allowed him in that pressure-filled moment to not go by how he felt, and especially by how his guys felt? That's what we're going to talk about right now. David knew three things, okay? David knew the law of God, principles of God and the wisdom of God. All right? What allowed David to see through his emotions, what allowed him to take a step back and not react to the circumstances and make a bad decision was that David made his decision based on those three things. Well, how do you know that, Russ? Well, let's look at what he says. In verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, he sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. See, the law of God, David knew. He said, guys, this is my master, and I can't kill him. You can't kill the king and think that that's okay. That's against the law. But David, he's trying to kill you. I know he's trying to kill me. I know he's trying, but it's against the law. That's like if somebody gossips about you, it's okay for you to gossip about them. No, you don't repay evil for evil, right? David knew that. He said, like, God already said, he, God already spoke about that. But then he also had the principles of God. He said, this is the Lord's anointed. And see, this is so important because it's like, wait a minute. He's supposed to be the king acting right and doing the right thing. And he's not, <laughs> He's trying to kill me. David said, he's still the Lord's anointed. He's still the Lord's anointed. What's the principle? The principle is you don't displace what God has put in place. But David, he's your enemy who's trying to kill you. Yeah, I know, but I don't, and I will not replace what God has put in place. That's super important to remember. And he had to remind the guys. And then there was the wisdom of God. And I love this, because wisdom is so important. Wisdom asks questions 
what do I want to look back on when this story is told about me years ago? What, what do I want to look back? What do I want said about me, right? What's the wise thing to do in light of my future, my hopes, my goals, and my dreams? What's the wise thing to do with where I'm heading? What's the wise thing to do in light of, of where I want to be someday? David's like, you know what? I don't want to be telling my kids, well, let me tell you how I became king. You know, old King Saul came into this cave, and I was hiding in the back, deep, where he couldn't see me. And he was relieving himself, using the bathroom, and then I came up, whacked him, and that's how I became king. Oh, Dad, you're so brave. I really took courage. No, he doesn't want to do that. But see, David also knew this. Kings who became kings from murdering other kings probably will get murdered themselves. And you see that, right? But here's a bigger point. David would never know. Did I put myself in this position? Or did God put me in this position? And he wouldn't have the confidence to know I'm where I am because God put me here. It wasn't my manipulation. It wasn't my fancy, schmancy, you know, skills and my singing. God put me here. See, like you and I, we need to know God put us where we are. He put us in our neighborhoods. He put us in the schools that we're in. He put us in the gyms that we go to. He put us in the relationships that we're in. He put us in the marriages that we're in or the companies in the career path. God put us where we are. It's not an accident. David knew that God put him where he was and that God was going to sustain him. That God was going to continue to take him where he wanted him to be. You know, in a similar way, you and I, we got to know that. We got to know God has put me right where, where I'm supposed to be. And he is working and he's doing what he's doing. And so David taught his men strength under control that day. You don't make decisions off of your, your, your emotion, off of your understanding and interpretation of circumstances. Is it against the law? Does it violate a principle? And is it a wise thing to do? You know, I love the fact that God's given us his word. Because sometimes... Church, we rely way too much on other things. And this is what I mean. We can find something on the internet. It's a podcast. And we're listening and people are talking about the Bible. But that's not God's word. 
That's a person's opinion of something. And I'm not saying it's bad. But we got to make sure we go to the source. I don't even want you to take what I'm saying or what other people might be saying. You know, one of the things I love, Steve and Arlene, they're coming here, and I'm going to tell you, if you're a parent, and you a parent with adult children, you want to be at that Saturday devotional because they have an amazing story. I'm not going to share it all, but one of the things they've taught their kids, and, and it's funny to see how when you teach your kids and you think they're not listening, and they really are listening, and then they do it, and you're like, ooh, that was nice, you know? One of the things he's taught Cooper, he's, Cooper asked his campus minister, he says, I hear you, you're saying, he said, but where's that at in the Bible? You're telling me I need to do that. Where's that at in Scripture? Going to the, the source. See, I got just a couple of Scriptures up here. And I, again, I, I encourage you, the Word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Psalms 119, 105. And, and again, I'm not going to read all, through all of them, but God's given us the word so that we can know how to live. Boy, do we need relationships? Absolutely. But let me tell you what you need. You need that time with God to hear what he's got to say to you. Because Everybody needs a personal relationship with God. Everybody's dealing with their own issues and challenges, and there's something specific that he wants you to hear. Not your spouse or your kids, but you, so that you can keep growing in your relationship with him. You know, that's why we, we encourage people, have a quiet time. Why? So you can get to know the laws. So you can get to know the principles, so that you can get to know the wisdom of God. But it's all about God. It's who he is. And knowing how much he loves and cares for us, that he would give us instructions and directions. God has a lot to say about a lot of topics. So I encourage you, what is your, what, what, you're working on, what is it? Purity, what is it? Man, go in the Bible. Grab a word and say, I want to understand this word. And you read all of the scriptures about it. And you're going to learn something about that particular word that applies to your life. That's a word study that's going to help you develop deep convictions about what God has to say. You know, some of us are here today. We're on the brink of making some major decisions in our lives. We're weighing our options. I want you to listen to this. God does not want us to make decisions based on our circumstances or our ability to interpret circumstances. He has a better way. And the better way is through his word. Are you with me, church? The better way is through his word. Now, it's funny. I got this slide here. Questions to ask when making decisions. Does this choice violate the laws of God? Okay, good question. Does it 
violate the principles of God? Good question. Does it violate the wisdom of God? It's a filter. It's just a way of taking my life and saying, okay, how does this work here? Now, I want to say this too. This does not mean that your circumstances are always wrong. If circumstances say go right, you go right. <laughs> but it means that we get into the habit of using the word as a guide and asking ourselves questions before we make decisions. Are you with me, church? This is what David learned in that cave, and it prevented him from a really, really bad choice. But it also taught his men the same way. See, it requires us to get into the word. It requires us. Again, if you're visiting today, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. And, and I, I'm so glad that, that you took the time to, to, to come and, and, and worship with us. But I, I implore you, man, open some time to get together and get into the word of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I want to remind you, the goal is not reading your Bible. The goal is not having a quiet time. You know what the goal is? Obeying what Jesus says. That's our goal. It's not knowing what Jesus says. It's not quoting it to somebody else. It's obeying what Jesus says. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I've written. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Because you know what? That's the difference of knowing and experiencing what it really means to walk with God. And David learned that, and he provided an example that was unbelievable. Even though the circumstances were screaming one thing, he went to God's law in the heat of the moment, and it delivered him from regret, anxiety, fear, and a bad decision. He displayed strength under control, and he taught his guys, no, God's given us a different way. It's through his word, it's through his principles. And like David, let's not just say, amen, yeah. God, what is it you want me to do? What is your will? Show me your will. God is the ultimate communicator. He wants to reveal his will to us who seek him through his word. Next week. We're going to learn about how David dealt with disappointment and unfulfilled dreams. You got any of those? You got any friends that's got disappointments and unfulfilled dreams? I want to encourage you to encourage your friends to come and hear the word of God so that we might have hearts for God. Let's pray together.